hymns, or actually they're all carols, and it's a very simple little plan. We're going to sing 172, and we'll stand up to sing that, and then we'll sit down and we'll sing 178, and then the rest of the service will be as per normal. I thought we'd have an extra card.
last week for the thing in the accident. I just realized I haven't given any notices. Not that it's made enough to, get, to give, but what I need to say is there'll be no meetings here now, not Thursday, not Christmas morning. Next services, God willing, will be next Sunday, and we expect uh, Robin and Gary to take the services. So that's next Sunday, God willing. Thank you. If you'd like to turn to 178, 178. See amid the winter snow born for us on earth below. See, the Lamb of God appears, promised from eternal years. Hail, thou ever blessed morn. Hail, redemption's happy dawn. Sing through all Jerusalem. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Please remain seated to sing this. Happy. 
us to come from highest bliss down to such a world as this. Gracious God, again we thank you for the privilege of worship, of singing these lovely hymns, reminding us of our Lord's birth. Thank you for the plans and purposes that resulted in that birth, and of course there was so much more to come. We bless you, O Lord, for your great and grand design of salvation, redemption, restoration, reconciliation, and all that is in as we look forward to, of heaven and eternity. Oh, Lord God, you're a great God. You're a sovereign God. None of this, these things happened by chance. None of these things happened as a coincidence. Everything fell into place as foreordained by yourself in with great wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And yea, love and mercy, you put the whole thing together. And bit by bit, year by year, you're bringing these things to pass. Until that final day when the Lord will come and things will be wound up. And we praise you, Lord, that nothing can frustrate your purposes. And in the fulfillment of the prophecies regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus, everything was fulfilled. Much was done to frustrate those purposes. Much was done by the enemy of our, our souls to, to stop these things happening. Uh, from the destruction of the babies in Egypt uh, to the destruction of the babies in Bethlehem. All these, these imaginations of, of men and of demons and of the devil himself, nothing but nothing can frustrate the purposes of God. Hallelujah. You will have your way. Sometimes that way seems strange to us. We confess. We don't quite understand what is happening. And we read the scriptures and we're surprised at the way things work out. And then we read further and we realize that this actually was for the best. And we see it as we read towards the end of your book.
But when things happen to us in our little hearts and in our little lives, sometimes we don't see the end. And it's difficult going through the middle, as it were. But Lord, we, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you because we believe our times are in your hands. And Lord, we wish them there. We confess that we are only human. We confess we are frail and feeble as dust. We confess that on uh, so many occasions we, we want better times for ourselves. We want things to be a bit easier, uh, that they flow a bit better, and, and things are not happening so much to us as it were, as we see it in a wrong way. But your scripture teaches us that all things work together for good to them that love God who are the called according to your purpose however hard we uh, we find that to understand that's what your word says and so it must be true and so our father we ask for grace and strength and faith to see that through as it were and to commit our way to you knowing that you know best we love that little verse uh, which tells of the Lord Jesus. He has done all things well. Hallelujah. And that's always the case. It's never not the case. He always does all things well. Forgive us for our lack of faith. Forgive us for our short-sightedness. Forgive us, Lord, but be with us in these times you know the way that we take and the steps of a good man and a woman are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way so we thank you for all that uh, came about at that first at that incarnation that first Christmas as we call it all of it, these things just worked out and we just praise you that you were in control of all that and we thank you, for the Lord, for giving to us an understanding of that. We lament uh, the way the world treats this time. We lament the fact that there's so much uh, celebrations and so little consideration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we have to say, there but the grace of God go I. We are no better than the world. We are no better than those who are outside and have no thought tonight of Jesus. Because we were once like that. We couldn't care less. Some of us had a faint belief. Some have had a very strict belief. Uh, but we were outside of Christ and outside of the kingdom. And we didn't want to go near a church. But sovereignly your grace laid hold upon us sovereignly Lord you brought us under the sound of the gospel and sovereignly you opened our eyes to behold the glories of the Lord Jesus and we discovered two great facts we were great sinners and Jesus was a great saviour and we called unto him for mercy and he heard us and delivered us and brought us into the kingdom and made us new creations. 
Old things passed away, and behold, all things became new in Christ. So, Father, we thank you that we want to be here tonight to sing the praises of Jesus. And we want to celebrate his coming uh, as a babe in Bethlehem. We want to thank you for this great plan of redemption. And especially we want to thank you that we are part of the plan. Not of good in us. Not because some we, how, somehow we are worthy or somehow we are better than some of the rest of our family or our friends or our relatives or whoever. We were not grace laid hold upon us free grace, sovereign grace electing grace laid hold upon us and has kept us down the years we haven't kept ourselves we confess to, to, our, to our shame and to our sorrow there have been times Lord and we've been so dreadfully behaved we've said things we shouldn't have said we've done things we shouldn't have done we haven't said things we should have done and we haven't done things we ought to have done sins of omission, sins of commission we confess them before you but you've kept us we believe that you will keep us you will never leave us nor forsake us I give unto my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish they shall never cease to be my sheep in my hand and none can pluck them from my, from my hand in my father's hand none can pluck them from his hand we praise you for our eternal security it's all of grace he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ so we pray then that you bless us in our little our time together that any were streaming or were watching this on the internet or will hear and see a recording we pray that you bless them and that may they be helped and, and encouraged and perhaps challenged to consider the truths of God hear us Father now we pray bless those who are not with us and who are near to them for Jesus sake Amen 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 
I've got two readings tonight, one is briefly from the Old Testament, and then one from Matthew's Gospel. Um, so it's Micah, prophecy of Micah, chapter 5, and just the first two verses. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops, he hath laid siege against us, they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, and is to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Then Matthew chapter 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, on the land in the land of Judah, Thou art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when he found him, Bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and, lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed unto their own country another way. Well, we'll come back to that in a moment. Let's sing another hymn. One hundred and seventy-six, and it's no surprise, I'm sure, to see it's a little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie, above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light, 
the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. One, seven, six. And we'll stand to sing. Still we see thee lie Above thy deep and dreamless sleep The silence does go by Yet in thy dark street shineth The everlasting light the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. O morning stars together proclaimed the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth for Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above while mortals sleep the angels keep their watch of wandering how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his hand. No is coming but in this world of sin meek souls will receive him still the dear Christ enters in O holy child of Bethlehem Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Let's just bow our heads in prayer a moment. Gracious Father, again we thank you for the privilege of coming to a place such as this, 
to sing your praise, our fellowship, and to consider your word together, the very word of God, infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. And we pray as we look a little closer at it again this evening, things that we know so well to a certain extent, that they may come anew and afresh to us, and you'd bless your word to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I guess by now that you're used to me asking questions, I trust in a helpful way, uh, of the scriptures. I've sent you um, several occasions that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones reckoned this is one of the best ways of understanding a passage or a verse to ask the question of the verse. What is its context? Who said it? Uh, to whom was it said? And so forth. And I just brief discussion with Simon Green the other Sunday when he was here and he was the word uh, that I hadn't heard he said yes what the doctor actually said was interrogate the text I thought that's good to interrogate it to say now why is this here what is that and some things we take for granted you and I we've been reading these things uh, about the Christmas story or the birth of our Lord for many years I guess for me for more than 60 years and we think we know everything there is to know about where Jesus was born and so forth uh, but I've stood back a little bit and looked again at this and I want to think about Bethlehem Bethlehem now we all know the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem it says it in Matthew and uh, nobody disputes that I don't think and if I said to you, why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? You said, ah, I know the reason, answer to that, because it's mentioned in Micah. And to fulfill that prophecy, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, because Micah said uh, he, this leader would come from Bethlehem, Judea. But of course, the, that's not an answer, really, because God doesn't work forwards, God works backwards. What I mean by that is God determined where his son should be born, i.e. in Bethlehem. So then he works backwards and gives a prophecy to Micah. And God determined that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem before he created the world. This was part and plan of God's purpose that uh, God should be manifest in the flesh, as we said this morning, that Lord Jesus should be born in Bethlehem. There was a purpose in Bethlehem. Now the big question is, why Bethlehem? It could have been anywhere. Could have been Bethany. Could have been Capernaum. Could have been Jerusalem. And then God would have told Micah of, uh, that the prophecy would be that Jesus would be born in Bethany or in Bethesda or wherever. So you see this part of the great plan of God. And when you begin to, to think about this and think, no, this is amazing that God has worked all this out. The placing, the timing. Uh, I'm sure you've heard preachers before saying that the, the time, historically, the timing of Jesus' his birth was, was so precise. Uh, now, I'm not going to go down there, that line, right, because there's too, so much in it about the Romans and the Greeks and all that thing. It just fits in. It was the best time because God had so purposed it. So, here's the question. Why Bethlehem? What is significant about Bethlehem? Well, I've said this about other places, um, if, if you have a good memory. 
and I'll say it again, and it sounds, I know, a bit Welsh or a bit Irish, but the significance of Bethlehem is in its insignificance. It's not a very special place. I was trying to remember where the royal babies were born. William and Harry and, and others, right? Now, some of you take an interest in this, uh, and particularly my wife, Lover, she would uh, she'd be able to tell me um, uh, where he was born and the doctor and the nurse and the, and the porter that pushed the trolley. Now, I don't know any of that, right? Um, but I do know that they got the best treatment in the best hospital. The king, uh, queen's old physician would have been there in attendance and all the, the best people, the gynecologists and all the pediatrics, all the way. They had the very best in the best places. But after all, they're royalty. And one of them may be a future king. Who knows? Now, see the contrast to that. This person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is eternal son of God who is the king of kings is the lord of lords he is born in Bethlehem not where the king's physician is not where all the best doctors are not where the best maternity uh, center is in fact it was the worst place what's the very worst place you want to have a baby to be born in a cow shed But this is all in the part of the plan and purpose of God. You see, <coughs> to illustrate the point here, if you like, um, these wise men who've had this stand have given, been given some special revelation that a king is to be born, they come to the king. At the time, Herod, they come to Jerusalem, to the palace. They are expecting a king to be born, a new king. Well, this new king must be born in a palace, and he must. Then the king who is there now must know all about it, because he's going to be the new king. And Herod knows nothing at all about it. And in fact, he's very troubled, as the scripture says. And of course, you know the terrible things that happen afterwards, uh, after the birth of Jesus. So Bethlehem, what is significant about Bethlehem? It's the very least, says Micah, the least. It's totally insignificant. There's nothing about Bethlehem that will commend itself, humanly speaking, geographically, um, socially. So I thought, well, let's just find out what the Bible says about Bethlehem. And, I mean, there are lots of things, but I picked up a few things. And again, you'll know them, right? And I don't want to dwell too much on them. But I want to see if, if we can get something from these places and what happened to these places that points somehow towards the birth of the Lord Jesus. See if we can see a pattern running through, all right? I think we can. Now, of course, being a preacher, I could manipulate things to kind of prove my point. I hope I'm not going to do that. And you'll have to be the judge of that. But if we look at fairly clearly, simply... I think we may see some kind of pattern. Now, you don't need to turn to these, all right? I've got them marked out, so, uh, and, uh, so I know where they are, but uh, I would suggest you just kind of listen if you can. The first reference to Bethlehem is a sad one. Now, when I thought about this, I thought perhaps there would be people, we, strangers might be amongst us, you know, and there may be some would be watching, and that would be great. Um, and I thought, if I do this, and it's a Christmas so-called message, 
And if I talk, the first thing I mention about Bethlehem is a very sad thing. They say, oh, doom and gloom at Christmas. Well, bear with me. Bear with me. It's not all doom and gloom. But you have to be real, don't you? People aren't real. They're not, the Bible is a book of reality. The Bible says, describes us great exploits, great things great, wonderful, gracious, good, glorious things, but also the Bible says some very sad things, some very dark things, because life is like that. It's not all happy, clappy, smiley faces, all right? There are some very difficult things, and you in a real world know this because some of you have been through difficult times and are going through difficult times. So, what happens in Bethlehem, according to Genesis chapter 39. Well, wait for it. Rachel dies giving birth to Benjamin. Oh, that's what happens. The very first thing we're told about, uh, ben, about uh, Bethlehem, I'll give you the reference in case you wanted to look it up sometime, all right? But don't do it now, there's no need. We won't stay with it too long. Genesis 35, verse 19. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrathah, which is Bethlehem. You know the story of uh, Jacob and uh, Rachel, the one he really loved. And uh, his father-in-law did the dirty on him and swapped his sisters over so he had her first and, and then he uh, had seven years for Rachel and then he had two wives and he had, they had two maids and all these children, babies and fathers all over the place right? and Rachel was the one the last one to have a child and she had two, Joseph that's why he was one of the favourites and this other baby and given birth to the second baby she died in childbirth and she wanted to call this baby Ben-Onai, son of my sorrow. Now you think about it for a moment. Here is Jacob. If he had gone along with that, his wife, his dearest, beloved wife, the one on whom he, he really loved, she's dead and he's got this baby. And every time he sees this baby, every time he calls this baby his name, Ben-Onai, he's going to be reminded of his wife's death. And he couldn't cope with that. Now, this is my interpretation. Right? He couldn't cope with that. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to call this Benjamin, son of my right hand. So when I call his name, I'll be, I'll be thinking positively. Rachel died, but she's in her death. She's given me this son, Benjamin, my beloved. And you know how he protects Benjamin in the rest of the story in Genesis. So there's, there's a sweet and sour note there. But this happens in Bethlehem. Right, let's go on to another bigger story. And it's one of the shortest books in the Old Testament. And it's the book of Ruth. Now we like the book of Ruth, well I like the book of Ruth. Lovely story. Um, eventually, eventually, because it starts off with a famine. Oh, you say, 
You've just told us about a death, and now you're going to tell us about a famine. Yeah, I am. We told it. So there's a famine in Bethlehem. Now, this is peculiar. Why do I say that? Because Bethlehem means literally the house of bread. So in the house of bread, in this land, right, um, there's a famine. And it's in the time of judges, when the people are up and down, they praise God, they leave God, they praise God, they leave God. Uh, the enemies, are de they deliver from the enemies, the enemies come again, they deliver it again, and it's up and down, up and down. And it must be a time of where the people have rebelled against God, and he's uh, truthful to his word, to his covenant promises, blessings if you obey, curses if you disobey. One of the curses is famine, they've, they've been disobedient, there's a curse, there's a famine, that's what's happening. And there's a man who, from Bethlehem, Judah, he says, I, I can't cope with this. I've got a wife. I've got two sons. We're going to leave the land of promise, leave the covenant land, and go off to Moab, to the pagans in Moab. And he's there with his wife, his two sons, and they married two Moabites. So they have married two pagan girls. Not good. And then... Her, Naomi, her family falls apart. Promise of a new life, husband, sons, daughters, everything is going well. And then, bang, husband dies. But she's got two sons, and their wives, possibly grandchildren. And then, one son dies. And then, the other son dies. The three men in her life, dead. Oh, her little life collapses. But she's got two daughters-in-law. So that's all bad news. But they are Moabites. She's told them about the God of, Je of Israel, Jehovah, but they're still really pagan at heart. And she says, listen, girls, I'm going home. I've heard that the Lord has visited his people in Bethlehem. And therefore, I'm going to go back to my people and back to my God. And you stay here. And make life for yourself here. And seek a husband and have a family and worship your God here. And they say, oh, no, ma'am, no, we'll go with you, we'll go with you. And, and uh, they go out a little way and, and then one of them says, um, oh, perhaps I'll stay. That's a good idea. You stay. And then you have this famous, famous, famous uh, conversation with Ruth. She says, you stay. No, no, no. Entreat me not to leave thee. Remember that? Entreat me not to leave thee. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. Wow, isn't that something? It's wonderful, wonderful. And so they go off together. And providentially, see how, how God is working these things, working these things out. Providentially, they arrive at the time of harvest. Now, bear in mind, there are two widows, an older woman and a younger woman, but both widows. What work can they do? What can they do? They've got no money. She possibly went back to the old uh, house, if it was still there, or the farm, whatever it was. Um, 
So Ruth's mother said, well, listen, you need to go out and, and gather some grain in. And we have a system in Israel. It's a good system. It's pre the welfare state, right? No social security, no widow's pension. Um, but God in his law had provided for widows and the poor. And what the law said was that when you cut your field, presumably it's fairly square, when you cut your field, you don't go right into the corners. You leave the corners uh, with the barley, for example, growing. Because then the poor and the widows can come and they can have the corners. And the other thing, and this is a strange little thing, the other thing is, when you are collecting uh, the sheaves, right, put them in the basket, if you drop some on the floor, you're not to pick it up. Well, stuffed. If you pick it up, you know. I, wherever I drop it, I'm on the floor trying to find it and put it in. You know. But if you drop it, leave it there. Why do you do that? For the widows and the poor. So, Ruth goes into this, to this field, and there's some people gathering there, and she says, is it all right if I come? I'm a widow, and, I, and my mother-in-law is a widow, and uh, uh, is it all right if I... Yes, yes, yes. So you, uh, you go in that corner, and that corner, and anything else being dropped, you pick it up, and uh, then enters the scene, Boaz. Oh, great Boaz. I don't know if he was tall, dark, and handsome, uh, but you get the impression perhaps he was. He might have been short, fat, and anyway. Um, and Boaz sees her. And he's heard about her, the way she's looked after her mother, you know. So he says to his men, now, when you're collecting, drop a bit on purpose. Right? Just drop a little bit on purpose. And she comes back and says, look how I've collected today. Wow! Where did you go? Now, she had fairest fair fields around. She could have possibly gone. But providentially, providentially, she goes to a field and the owner is Boaz. Ah, little lights go blinking, twinkling. Ah, Boaz. Well, what you don't know, Boaz is a distant relative of ours. Oh. Now, I won't go through all the kinsman redeemer bit, all right? Um, but in those days, the nearest relative uh, uh, was to marry the widower, the widow, and then she would inherit the land that uh, her f husband had had as well. We don't go through all that. Suffice it to say, it's there. So Boaz, and he's always interested in this Ruth, and uh, he determines that he should be her husband. She'd have a wife, but there's somebody else a bit closer, so we've got to deal with that. And there's all this business of uh, that the, the person is given the first refusal, if you like, and yeah, well, I'll have it. and then he explains that if, if you have the land, you'll have to have hers. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, and then Boaz finally marries her. Hooray! And all this happens in Bethlehem. And you say, well, it was a nice, nice story, but what on earth has it got to do with Jesus being born in Bethlehem? Well, let me tell you well, what it's got to do with. Because Ruth has a little baby. Hooray. All right? And this little baby, let me just get it here. All right, this little baby is called Obed. Okay. Then Obed, <coughs> he had a little baby. And then a baby called Jesse. All right. Wait for it. And Jesse had a little baby who was called David. 
became King David. Now you begin to see a little link here, don't you? A link here. Ruth, great grandson, David. And then when you come to Matthew's Gospel and the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the names that you would expect to be there, Jewish names, of course, you find Ruth. Jesse, Solomon begat, um, you can't see it, right? Obed of Ruth. Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, and so on. So Ruth is mentioned. This Moabitess, this pagan, comes to acknowledge or believe in Jehovah. She's in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem. One other little account, again, that you know well. So, David. Right? David. He was probably the eighth son. Right? I say probably. Some discussion about the Hebrew words, but we, went on, we don't need to go into that. So he is born to Jesse. And there are eight sons, and he's probably the youngest. And being the youngest, he's probably the least thought of. And you know, again, you know the story. I'm not telling you anything new. Samuel uh, is told by God to go down to the house of Jesse to anoint a king because God has rejected Saul, whom the people wanted because he was fine appearance and a tall bloke and so on and a great warrior. So God said, no, no, I want you to go down to Jesse and anoint one of his sons to be the king of my choice, manna from my own heart. So Samuel goes down, he says hello to Jesse, and, and he says, right, I'm coming to anoint one of your sons. So parade them before me. So, the first one comes. Tall, handsome, good-looking, and all the rest of it. And obviously he's the man, isn't he? He's the best of the bunch. He's the best of the, of the sons. He's the best. He's the oldest, the wisest, bravest. And God says, no. I don't want him. To go down to the next oldest. I'm not going to prolong this, all right? right? And then he goes down, and he sees seven sons, and none of them is God's choice. Right. So then, Samuel says, well, have you got another son? And you get the impression, right? I might be exaggerating here, but you get the impression that Jesse said, have I got another son? David I've got young David well where's he always oh, he's doing doing the job nobody else wants to do why because he's the least of the brethren he's the least of the sons he's out looking after sheep and any clown can look after sheep move up and down the, the, the pastures and this and that and just watch over him a little bit and so on he's the least well go and get him and in, I'm sure, total shock and amazement. Okay, we'll go and get him. And here he comes. He's white. He, he's ruddy. He, he, he's the sunburnt, if you like. And, uh, and he's... And God says, that's the man. The least. The least. Now, do you see a little pattern come in here? It's the least. The insignificant. The worst of the bunch, so to speak. 
And God has this great principle that he uses the least or the least thought of, the lowest, to bring about his glorious purposes. Hallelujah. I love this. I know I've mentioned it once or twice before. I love this because when Paul writes to the Corinthians and he talks about their calling and how they've become Christians and who they are and what they are. And he says, you know, you see a calling, brethren, how that not many might, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world. You get that? And base things, the least things, the least significant things. And God has chosen these things. The things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. This is great. This is great. Here's this mighty giant Goliath. Was he about nine foot six or something, right? And the brothers, David's brothers are warriors, seasoned warriors. None of them are going to take him on. And David, the least, he comes along without any armor. And what has he got? He's got a slingshot and five pebbles. And, he, you know, you've got to laugh. Forgive me for laughing, but you've got to laugh, haven't you? It's a teenager, probably. Five pebbles and a slingshot. And this is nine foot six on a great big book with armor and a spear and all the rest of it. And he looks at him and he says, What? Have you sent a dog to find me or a flea of a dog? With this stain. And David just looks at him and says, Bring it on. Bring it on. You come to me in the name of your gods and so forth. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You see? You see what David is doing? He's saying, God can do this. I might be as small as small can be. I can be the size of a flea on a dead dog. But that doesn't matter because God is great. And God is glorious. And God can do it. I used to do it with the children. Boom. I loved him in there. Oh. I wonder what he said. Oh. Bang. God did it. God did it. Now, this brings us, believe it or not, we nearly finished, to Bethlehem. God determined that the least place in the whole of the land is where his son should be born. And he was regarded by some as the least person imaginable to be a savior. Meek and lowly at heart. He's a carpenter for goodness sake. No, you know, some wouldn't even regard it as a proper occupation. Yet here he is. 
the most important person that ever lived and ever died and rose again this is the saviour of sinners there is no one there is no one like him no one to be compared to him he was rich yet for our sakes he became poor and we through his poverty might become rich what a glorious saviour he can see he and you see he can save the chiefest of sinners the very worst of sinners the best of sinners if you want to turn it upside down anybody and everybody he can save because he who descended he was God he who took to himself the form of man made him fashion like a man he was obedient unto death even the death of the cross God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every every name at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow there are men and women alas who use the name of Jesus as a blasphemy a swear word and they think nothing of him and one day sooner than they think they will stand before him judgment they will shout and they will blaspheme all they want depart from me I never knew you let's get away from me back to those that come to him all who come to me nobody who comes to me I will turn away the very least of people uh, wherever you are whatever you are you come to me says Jesus and I will receive you you come in repentance you come in faith you come and trust me as a saviour who's died for sinners and risen again you come to me and I will receive you uh, whatever you are whoever you are I will receive you because that's the kind of saviour I am I'm a saviour of sinners I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's my mission in life, to glorify my Father by the recovering of the lost and the restoration of the fallen. That's what I do. That's what I am. Oh, that men and women and boys and girls at this Christmas time began to realize that Bethlehem wasn't just an accident or a coincidence it was deliberate on the part of God he wanted to say to people listen this is my son who is born in such dreadful circumstances because when he dies he won't die a normal death a natural death of old age or whatever he will die the most horrendous death that's ever been invented by man crucifixion and on top of all the physical and mental and psychological torment he will take my people's sins upon himself and die totally to atone for them so that all who come and believe may be saved eternally oh that some might realize something of that at this Christmas time he's a mighty saviour He's the only saviour.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our brief look at Bethlehem. We believe that it is all in the purposes of God that this should be the place where the Son of God was to be born. We've thought a little bit about it. I'm sure there's much more we could have thought and much more we could realize. We thank he was born at Bethlehem. No significance of itself, but made significant in the purposes of God that the Son of God was born there. We confess, O Lord, that we are not very significant. We may think we are sometimes, but we're not. But once we trust in Christ, we are significant because we then become the people of God. Kings and priests unto God, precious in the sight of the Almighty. Hallelujah. Bless your word to us tonight. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let's sing, hark the herald, angels sing. Now, I don't know many of you noticed this morning, but I noticed that there was an extra verse for angels from the realms of glory. And there's an extra verse here. I say extra verse, it's obviously originally there, but most uh, hymns, or versions of hymns, end on verse 3. But we've actually got an extra verse, verse 4. And um, it's in the book, so let's sing it. All right? So we'll sing all the verses of 171. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all in nations rise, joy in the triumph of the skies, where the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Amen. One seven one. Same. 
thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his birth. We amaze and wonder and glory at the incarnation. God became flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you for all of his life, for his teaching and his miracles and the way he did things and the way he behaved. We thank you for his death, his awful, dreadful, and yet substitutionary death on behalf of sinners such as we. We rejoice in his resurrection. We praise you for his ascension, intercession. And we look forward to that day when he will come again. And all will know that he indeed is King of kings and Lord of lords to the glory of God the Father. And now with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and remain upon God's people here and everywhere until we meet again or until he comes. And then forevermore. Amen.